What's up gamers, I'm Tori Dominguez. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's the gaming podcast for people who fixated on Sora's feet in the Kingdom Hearts 4 trailer. So this podcast is for Dan Schneider and Dan Schneider only. Gross. Cut that one. I don't like that. I'm leaving that one in. I'm leaving that one in. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. We got lots, lots of gaming news to talk today. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on. Tori, uh, do you want to kick us off here with a particularly exciting gaming news story that I alluded to in the intro? Yeah, so a couple days ago, we got some like really big news. Um, Kingdom Hearts 4 is a thing, and Sora is in the real world. He's like paying rent. He's fucking miserable. <laughs> the heartless are kaiju, um, and he's he's in the real world. Like he delivers food for Uber. Yeah, he has student loans. This poor motherfucker. His rent is getting increased by seven hundred dollars this year. Yeah, he it is, is suffering. He is it suffering. It really sucks. Just like everyone else. Can we talk about how wild it is that Square Enix announced Kingdom Hearts Four on like? a Sunday morning U.S. time. Yeah, it was, like, the most nonchalant. <laughs> it was, like, the 20th anniversary stream in Japan where they live-streamed the trailer for this game and a few new mobile games. So for myself, and I can imagine most other people in the United States, I just woke up Sunday morning, rolled over. I was like, let's see what's going on, on the, the out in the world today. And I opened up Twitter, and the first thing I see is just, like, a picture of Sora rendered in frighteningly realistic graphics yeah like, first of all his you can see the thread count on his sofa yeah you can see his toenails they do show his bare feet in this trailer his and he doesn't, bare feet everyone he doesn't have feet. like clown shoes anymore he's got like yeah he's kicks. just out there wearing like high tops yeah normal ass shoes normal ass shoes he doesn't he no longer wears shoes that are like three times the size of his entire body I think we've talked about this before, but Tori, what's your relationship with the Kingdom Hearts series? So my relationship to the Kingdom Hearts series is, um, to recap, I liked a boy a lot, and he wore Kingdom oh, Hearts socks, right. and so I was like, oh man, like this boy who's like literally like in 12th grade and I'm in like 9th grade, like there's not, not a chance, okay, not a chance. Um, I'm also like 90% true, like he's, he might be gay, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's, for, that's another subject for another time. He was really into Kingdom Hearts, and I was like, man, in order to get this guy to ask me out, I gotta, like, speak his language, you know? And so, the summers between 8th and ninth grade, uh, I bought Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 from a retro game store. Uh, this was, like, 2013, 2014, and I played them both over summer so that when I got back to school in fall, I would, um, have something to talk to him about, I guess. Uh, it did not work. We did not ever date. But... <laughs> I like these games, but I went into them like an idiot, mm -hmm. um, which is to say that I played these games in succession without like going through any of the spinoffs, which granted these spinoffs would have been hard for me to access as a person who like did not own a PSP or like whatever random fucking console. Like this is 2013. They did not have like the, the 1.5, 2.8. Like, this was right before that. Because Kingdom Hearts is a series that famously you had to own, like, practically famously every accessible console. Famously accessible series, Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> famously yes. accessible, yeah. Um, and so what happened was I played one, 
I played two, which are you can get away with that. You can skip yeah. the fucking terrible card game that I'm not even gonna talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do that. And then it happened. He didn't like me back. I kind of associate. I actually really love Kingdom Hearts one and two. Like, I mm-hmm. the music is good, the battle is good. I love the characters. Something just very childhood innocent about it, and I just. I have a lot of love for Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, in particular 1. And then I, like, then the following year, I'm, like, kind of over this guy. And then I have a friend who introduces me to a game called Persona. <laughs> and then ah. I get obsessed with that, and then that's the end. And then... And now you have a also, video game podcast where you talk about the Persona series constantly. It's I do, but It's a straight then, line. <laughs> I also want to make this known right now. Like, back in the olden days... <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 3 was a game I we were all convinced like would just never happen. Yeah, it was like because mythical. It was mythical. And so I like forgot about it. I started playing Persona. I went to college and didn't take a PS4 with me. Mm-hmm. Um and I just forgot about it. And then lo and behold, my like freshman or sophomore year, Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, that game. And then I remember there's like a bunch of other games that had like come out. For Kingdom Hearts, but I was like, ah, it's too much effort at this point. I'm just gonna play Kingdom Hearts three because I remember one and two pretty well, right? Yeah. I'm just gonna play three, and um, that did not go well. I had no idea what the fuck was happening. Uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about God. Who are these people you're talking about in my in our chat? Yeah. Gonna, okay. Because we were Zianor? we were talking. No. Yeah. You, you didn't know who. Like like you said, jumping from Kingdom Hearts one to Kingdom Hearts two is doable. Because the story, the story elements that you miss out from Chain of Memories are, I'm not going to say they're not integral. Now, Chain of Memories, before it was re-released later on the PS2, redone in that engine, it was a Game Boy Advance card-based RPG that a lot of people just unsurprisingly skipped over because it was a fucking Game Boy Advance spinoff. But the, the story of that game is like the direct interlude between Kingdom Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2. And it does introduce some characters, but like context clues mostly fill those in. Between Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts 3, there are at least three like very important games, all of which were on handhelds. Like it is it is practically integral that you played Birth by Sleep, the PSP game that introduced uh, Ventus, Terra, and Aqua. These were the people I was texting Aqua, you about. Aqua, Ventus, and Aqua. Yes. I yeah, was like, I was like, who I was are like these so you people? have no clue who these people. These are people Not that are a like fucking clue. They are like very integral to the story. Uh, you you didn't play three five eight over two days, so you never met Shion. No. You uh you didn't learn anything about Shion's relationship with Roxas. Like all this stuff. I yeah. uh, no. no, no, God. God. <laughs> smooth brain honestly head empty i did play um oh my god remember we like went on a road trip yeah we went on a road trip to new york city from orlando mm-hmm. florida do not recommend that, that sounds miserable but that's how you pack like two kids in a car if you want to save money and like take him to like the statue of liberty i guess um and so my whenever we went on road trips my parents would let me buy a book or buy a video game like a handheld game to keep me busy that's and nice. so I do remember buying Dream Drop Distance. Oh, oh I um, forgot about Dream Drop Distance. Yeah, I think that but one... But, bro, I cannot huh. tell you what that game is about. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I remember about that one is that the characters from The World Ends With You were there for some reason. And I don't remember how important that was to the main yeah, story. Yeah, I, or... I don't even remember that game at all. I just remember, like, playing it just so I could have something to do 
on the drive up to New York, but that's I it. I have a not dissimilar relationship with this series as you, but I guess it's different enough. I mean, and I think I shared this on an earlier episode. I had another Disney game for the PC. I couldn't tell you which one it was, but it was pre-Kingdom Hearts 1, and it had a trailer on the disc for Kingdom Hearts 1. And I remember watching the trailer over and over again, just like this looks like the pinnacle of video games. Because at this point, at this point, I don't know if I would have even had my GameCube yet. So I would have been operating on just like my dad's old Sega Genesis that he let me pull out and play Sonic every now and then when I was a little kid. And seeing that trailer for Kingdom Hearts, I was it was like earth shatteringly cool. I was like, this is what games can look like. And also Mickey Mouse is there. I want to play this game. So I like I definitely eventually got Kingdom Hearts 1 when I got a PS2 and I got Kingdom Hearts 2 shortly after launch day because I remember it wouldn't have been on launch day it would have been shortly afterwards but I remember I distinctly remember trying to make it through the extremely long opening prologue before you get to play as Sora in Kingdom Hearts 2 and like leaving my PS2 on overnight because I hadn't reached a good place to save or something like that yeah um, and I like dabbled with the handhelds but I never, like, beat most of these games. Like, I beat Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, and then I eventually beat Chain of Memories, the remake on the PS2 and the better graphics. But, like, I didn't beat Birth by Sleep on the PSP because the way that game works, Tori, is that you play through it with all three of those different characters. So, like, Terra, Ventus, yeah, and Aqua, about that. Yeah. they all have different storylines. And so I was, like, 90% of the way through Ventus's story. And I was really enjoying it. I thought they had done a very good job condensing the Kingdom Hearts formula onto a handheld in a way that was like more graphically impressive than the DS games. And then my memory stick corrupted my save. And I was like, I have no desire to schlep myself through all these Disney worlds again. So I just had Yeah, that's uh that's the didn't touch it. But I, I had a similar relationship where like I had fallen off the series. I I picked up Dream Drop Distance for cheap a little while after it came out and I never beat it. I just kind of lost interest in the series and then when three came out it didn't get bad reviews but it got kind of meh reviews like i know a lot of people were saying like this game goes really hard on the lore and it treats it as if you are up to date on it as of like three days ago it does and i was like hello it was just a little too dense for me but if if the final product of kingdom hearts 4 ends up looking anything like the trailer that we got for this I, I might be back in. Like, it kind of looks like, I don't know, it looks like kind of what I wanted Kingdom Hearts 3 to look like. Like, better graphical fidelity and really going nuts with, like, the scalability of the worlds you're in and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I it's not that I have anything against Kingdom Hearts besides the lore just being, like, confusing mm-hmm. as hell. I actually really love these games and, like, deeply admire and respect anyone who understands them because i do not i just like to be in there and have fun and encounter disney characters yeah um and this is making me want to buy that all-in-one package that's like selling like hotcakes on gamestop right now so this this might just be the thing that gets me in uh this game looks incredible (laughs) yeah and uh, obviously people are speculating about the gameplay trailers being fake yeah uh what do you think I did read that that trailer was done in engine. So that was not like pre-rendered, like that was that was being done in engine. But I also saw an interview with Tetsuya Nomura where he said that the engine they used for the trailer was Unreal Engine 4 and the final game is going to be in Unreal Engine 5. So like 
I don't think we're seeing this game anytime soon. And if we are, I think it's going to be next-gen exclusive. Like, I I will be shocked if this game comes out on the PS4 and the whatever the Xbox equivalent is. Like, don't oh, think so that's Oh, so this will be just a PS5 only? Yeah, I think it'll be PS5 only, and I think we're going to see it in, like, several years from now. <laughs> that because makes sense. I I don't know, it just... All signs are pointing to this being like a very early tease, something that the Kingdom Hearts series is like a little notorious for, where they'll tease a character or tease like a clip from a game, and then that game will not come out for years. And it's like, oh, well, like, it's good to know it's in the works. I, uh, I did a little research and I saw that there's a thing that flashes at the beginning that kind of demarcates that this is, this is a new story. Like, this is the next step. And... I don't know if you saw that, but there was an interview with Tetsuya Nomura not long after Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, where he said, like, everything up to Kingdom Hearts 3, so, like, everything from when the first Mm -hmm. game came out in, like, 03 or whenever it came out up to Kingdom Hearts 3 is chapter one of the Kingdom Hearts story. (laughs) I know, but I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it either. I didn't believe it. I thought that was the kind of thing somebody says before they just ride off into the sunset and are never seen again. But or a bunch love. of like shitty like alternate universe sequels or prequels are made and then it gets like Star yes. Wars and then you're like, Ugh. I will say, though, I did a bit of a deep dive on Kingdom Hearts 3 lore that I like was unaware of and like spoiled the ending of the game for myself and stuff. Um, can I share some of this with you? Do you do you care if some of the story I elements can't... of Kingdom Hearts 3? OK, are so I know. OK, we woo we woo spoilers for Spo- Kingdom Hearts. Spoilers 3. for Kingdom Hearts 3, everybody. Yeah, um, okay, so I'm a little sensitive. I, okay, I kind of know that he, like, dies, and that's how he okay. ends up in the real world in the fourth game. Okay. I don't know how he gets there. Okay, that's fine, then. Can I, I just want to share with you an element about this real world. So, okay. I don't know how he gets there either, but I do know that the real world that Sora is supposedly in is not the real world, probably, maybe, it could be, but it is the same world that is inhabited by characters in a video game in the Kingdom Hearts universe. So apparently what? when you're Yeah, what? yeah, this is so when what you're the in fuck? the Toy Story world in Kingdom Hearts 3, there is a video game and that video game is like sort of kind of Final Fantasy 15, like it's Final Fantasy 15 adjacent. The main character in this video game oh is named Yozora or Yozora and he looks like Noctis with white hair. And he has a sword really similar to Noctis's. And apparently, somehow or other, Sora died, question mark, and is now in the world of the video game that might be the real world. But Tori, it goes so much fucking deeper than that. So, Oh, no. <laughs> are, you, are you familiar with Final Fantasy Versus 13? No. Okay, I know it's a game that exists, right? Like It, it, is, a, it is not a game that exists. Kind oh, of. is it not? There's a bunch it's, of Final Fantasy 13s, I swear to God. Like, see, just... that's that's the thing. So Final Fantasy versus 13, and this is talk about white whale games. This is one of those ones that was announced and nobody ever thought was going to come out. This game was announced back in 2006, and it was pitched as being part of Final Fantasy 13's story. Like you were going to have Final Fantasy 13 with like the pink haired chick and all those guys, and then you yeah. were gonna have versus 13, which is going to be different, but have you played Final Fantasy fifteen? Because I have not. I did. I did, and did. I played it up until like a certain point. 
where there was a plot twist, and I mm-hmm. thought the plot twist was very stupid. And, <laughs> and then so you I were like, out. fuck this, I'm out. I was like, I'm. can I, can I spoil this for you? Go for it. Spoilers for Final Fantasy. 15, a character who is your best friend actually turns out to be a robot. Kind of like a Terminator. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> and he just tells you this. Game. Are you shitting me? <laughs> Maybe we should play this game. I remember being like, this awesome. is fucking dumb. <laughs> Maybe we should play this. Also, okay, my I had two dogs die while I was playing this game, though. Oh, yeah. And so I kind of associate playing this game with like waiting on the calls for the vet to see if oh, my dogs Christ. were dead or not. Ooh. Yeah, there's some trauma there, honestly. We so, gotta unpack your Final Fantasy 15 trauma. We gotta, we yeah, gotta spelunk that my, shit. My Square Enix trauma being rejected by a guy like three years. <laughs> two of my dogs dying. Like, just think. I think my therapist would be proud to see me play these games. Actually, I I think if you ever meet Tetsuya Nomura in person, he owes you a hug or something. <laughs> like, Seriously, I want that. I want that six hundred dollar Sora suitcase for free. That's what I deserve. <laughs> so, Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen, the first trailer for this game comes out in two thousand six. The main character is Noctis from Final Fantasy Fifteen. Like. Like, this trailer from 2006 has Noctis in it. And so, Versus 13 is pitched as this big thing. It's pitched as, you know, it's going to be the the next evolution of the Final Fantasy formula. Because it basically is taking the Final Fantasy characters and spells and atmosphere into the real world, the way Final Fantasy 15 kind of did, and giving it the Kingdom Hearts battle system. So, like, you see trailers from, like, 08, 09 of gameplay for Final Fantasy Versus 13. And it just looks like edgy Kingdom Hearts, like not edgy yeah. in the not Kingdom Hearts edgy, like when people have black belt buckles all over themselves. But like it takes place in the real world and people are shooting guns at your character with a sword like that kind of edgy. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast forward to 2011. We get another trailer for Final Fantasy 13 versus 13. Sorry. And it's still in development hell. It's still coming along. Now, this is, like, the trailer that I remember seeing when it was shown off at E3. This is, like, the semi-iconic trailer for this game that never came out of, like, Noctis sitting in the backseat of a car, and then it shifts to first person, and then he, like, sees his dad driving the car, and he's like, oh, yeah, pretty crazy outside, isn't it? And there's, like, airships off in the distance and shit. So, the development hell continues for years. This game is finally mostly scrapped retooled into final fantasy 15 and rumor has it that's why final fantasy 15 is like kind of a mess story wise again i haven't played it but i've heard that well i've just corroborated that for you You, yes but you did just corroborate that plus i've heard that like towards the end the game kind of falls apart and a lot of people attribute that to the fact that it had like three directors over the course of a 10-year development cycle which is like generally horrific for games so fast forward now to kingdom hearts Four. So at the end of some quasi alternate ending thing for Kingdom Hearts 3, again, spoiler, 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 this doesn't tell you how Sora died. It it flashes to the character in the video game in Kingdom Hearts 3, Yozora, and he like does something and then it cuts and Yozora is sitting in the back seat of a car, leaning his head on the window. And Yo! then it shifts to first person, and his dad is driving the car, and his dad turned. And so I watched this on YouTube, and I was flipping my shit because I can't tell 
like this game never came out and Nomura and the guy who ended up directing Final Fantasy 15 have both said that like they consider 15 and versus 13 as like separate entities in their mind even though they shared characters for a period and like one morphed into the other they consider them to be separate entities so like is Nomura just gonna like make that game <laughs> he's just gonna make versus into like five other games but not actually make versus like is what you're is what you're telling me that's kind of the vibe i'm getting and like okay i'm not i'm not the best person to be unpacking all of this because having not played kingdom hearts 3 and having not played final fantasy 15 there's definitely some context here i'm missing out on but like it's it's very interesting to see that one of the potential directions for this new game especially if it is set maybe not entirely, but at least partially in this realistic world, could just be Nomura like, fuck it, you guys gave me the reins to this series, I'm just gonna make that game I wanted to make 15 years ago, and we're gonna have a blast. Yeah, I mean, I think it will be a blast. I think now you've confirmed this game's gonna be, like, redonkulous. Yeah. And it's gonna be great. And also, people are speculating that there's some Star Wars. Oh, we we are about to get there, Tori. Tori, I have... I have something that is big if true for you. This is this is very Humongo big. if true. Big if true. So the trailer drops for Kingdom Hearts 4, and it, it is mostly set in this city where we get to see Sora's apartment and his feet, and he's like running in the street and stuff. And his feet. <laughs> there's one point in the trailer where it cuts to this like forested area, and like it could kind of be anywhere. It looks just like a pretty forest. But eagle-eyed commenters on the internet have spotted that one of the shots of a forest, there's like a thing in the background on the ground that looks frighteningly like the the foot of one of the ATST chicken walker guys from Return of the Jedi. Mm. So Star Wars and Kingdom Hearts, like I I will drop a link to I mean, an article that includes photos. It, it is part of Disney. I, I can't wait to see uh, Sora collect all of Thanos' gems. We're just going to go through all of the things that <laughs> Disney owns. I saw. I can't wait to see Sora at ESPN World. <laughs> I saw fan art on Twitter the other day where somebody drew Sora in the art style of The Simpsons, like riding a skateboard with Bart. And I was like, yeah, this could happen too. Like, not sure how okay, I the feel thing, about the that. The thing I love about Kingdom Hearts, though, is that when they go inside a world... They go inside the world. Oh, like, yeah. Sora yeah, yeah. changes. Like, Sora's Nightmare Before Christmas outfit, iconic. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, some, iconic. That's some hot topic, like, wet dream shit right there. Oh, that's some trip stuff. pants. Oh, the belt Whew. buckles. So many belt buckles. So whatever they do, they're going to do it, and they always go go big. They're never, like, minimalist about it, you know? Not only that, but when when you go into the worlds of these movies... You're never just, like, on the fringes. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are, like, there for pivotal, important story moments. Like I know, which is just <laughs> as good as it is ridiculous. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, like, do you remember the Pirates of the Caribbean world in Kingdom Hearts 2? It's, like, all the... Oh, my it's God. Like the, the big scene at the end of the first Pirates of the Caribbean where, like, all the skeletons are there and they're all, like, fighting yeah. each other and shit. And here's, like... A, knockoff final fantasy character and his friends donald duck and goofy are just hanging out and they happen oh to be my, here oh my god so what, I, what i what iconic important star wars moment do you think sora donald and goofy should be there for 
See, I'm I'm imagining like the throne room scene from the end of Return of the Jedi when like Luke and Vader are having like this very important standoff moment. And I can't think of anything that would like completely ruin that scene more than like some anime twink in the corner like, No, you have to you have to make him turn back. There's good in him. Like <laughs> Gorsh, Luke. He's your father. Like <laughs> Vader's been recruited by Organization Thirteen. We got to give him. A I mean, hoodie. he's already wearing black. <laughs> he's already he's halfway there. He is halfway there. Yeah, I. Uh, Maybe you just weren't loved enough. <laughs> <laughs> when I initially saw this news, I was like, "This is like the death knell for the Kingdom Hearts franchise." But then I was like, "Actually, this rules. Like, fuck it. They should lean yeah, into just like, how ridiculous." If you take it is. Kingdom Hearts seriously, I don't have to tell you. Seriously, so, seriously. I I'm excited. Maybe we should start playing these these games, man. Like um, and like you said, the the full packs of all of these games. So there's they did the two different remix packs, the 1.5 and 2.5 HD remix, and each of those, if you merge them together, include like all of the games in some way, shape, or form. And then there's like the total package, and each of those. I mean, I know one, two, Chain of Memories, Birth by Sleep. Like those are all playable. And then for some of the ones that would have been a little more difficult to get into HD, they just give you all the cutscenes. You can just like watch what happens and stuff. So yeah, I, Lord help me that I'm even halfway considering picking up a Kingdom Hearts game again in our year of the Lord 2022. But that trailer almost had me doing it. It's thirty dollars. So. It's thirty dollars. Thirty bucks for a lot of games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking about her. And speaking of Square Enix, just like. Living their best life this year, honestly, yeah. with all their releases. Um, apparently, Uniqlo, which that's like the Japanese version of like H and M type of clothing store. That's a pretty they, good. That's a pretty good equivalent there. Yeah. Yeah, they have a collab with Final Fantasy, and it got leaked. And they are making shirts for every single game, and the Final Fantasy VII shirt kind of slaps, I will say. And even the the older ones actually have pixel art on them, so. Yeah, I don't say this lightly. These shirts are drippy as fuck. Like, like very, yeah. very... And the Uniqlo shirts usually are. Like, they usually have really cool minimalist design happening on them. Yeah, they are really cool. My favorite is, like, they they have... In the pictures, they have... And we'll link an article in the description that has a collection of all the photos. They They have one shirt design for each mainline Final Fantasy game. And so, like... One through six are really cool because they all have pixel art on them. I really like the one for six especially because it's that scene from the intro where uh, the mech suits are walking towards that city and then it has like the names of all the party members. But did you see the ones for like seven, eight, and nine? Like eight, yeah, seven, the ones in seven. I was looking at the frames. I believe there's a there's one of the frames of Aerith, and I don't know if that's the frame in which she's about to get stabbed. Oh god, or is looking up as she gets stabbed. But I, yeah, I'm like, oh. I really but. like like the eight and the ten ones because they look like they look like the kind of thing that somebody would have like printed out and sold at an anime convention in the early two thousands, and it is solid as fuck. Like I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah, the drip, the drip on these. Yeah, I will say I'm kind of bummed there isn't any belt buckles or zippers. Yeah, but yeah, you just gotta make do with what you got, you know. You might have to find those so. online. I'm sure you could find them on like Etsy or something. I found these earrings on Etsy that I almost bought that were like uh. They were, they're like panel earrings, so they were square, and it had the fight commands from like the old Final Fantasy 1, so it was like fight, magic, item, run, and it was like in pixel font, 
hanging from your ears and those were I really love cool. That. I'm still those thinking so about cute. buying those. Yeah, they were pretty solid. Uh, so what's going on in the world of uh mergers? Because we're all gonna be playing games by the same company one day. Jesus Christ. Well it's it's not just mergers. It's been a big week for Activision Blizzard, huh? Um so yeah. Vicarious Visions merged with Blizzard. That's a thing that happened. What do, what do Vicarious Ooh. Visions own? What is what is their deal? I mean, I'm pretty sure they made Crash Bandicoot, and I'm pretty sure they recently did the Tony Hawk uh game remakes. Hmm. But they've like they've made some money makers for sure. They've made some bangers, and uh, they are getting merged, and they're gonna be part of Blizzard. Which yeah. Some people are like, "Yep, they got sent to like the worst." They did do Crash Bandicoot. They just did the remakes that just recently came out, the Insane okay. trilogy. They did not do the original ones. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I mean, Activision Blizzard is simply too big to fail, and it certainly seems like they are trying to fail sometimes. Uh, another Activision Blizzard news hook we have here: they they boosted about eleven hundred of their quality assurance testers from part time to full time which was a big complaint of a lot of quality testers when there was a section yeah. of them that were unionizing about how they were only working part-time, so they were missing out on benefits and everything. Yes, at Ravensoft. Yes, right? those were the Ravensoft, yeah, and those are the yeah, guys who did unionize. Yeah, we talked about this. Exactly. So they did elevate about 1,100 of their QA testers from part-time to full-time, which did give them raises and it gave them benefits. But the folks at Ravensoft who recently unionized were left out of this. And that Activision says that that's because the National Labor Rights Board would not allow them to boost their salaries. But folks on the Raven side, including like plenty of people who are familiar with labor stuff and based on the reading I've done, that kind of seems like the line of argument, is that Activision can't unilaterally give the Ravensoft guys, since they're unionized, the same benefits that they gave the non-unionized people. But that's because they would have to sit down and bargain with them because they're a union now. So this is effectively Activision Blizzard saying, like, yeah, look, we don't want to bargain with the union, which is kind of, that that to me seems like that yeah. would run more afoul of the National Labor Rights Board. So uh, I don't know. It's not looking too hot for them over there. Yeah, I mean, they, they had quite the story history of just. Just some pretty horrific stuff. I mean, I'm glad that 1,100 QA testers now have full-time jobs and benefits. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's, I think it is cool. And I hope that other QA testers at other game studios look at this and go, hmm, you know, because they do deserve that. And QA work is really important work. My brother was actually a QA tester oh, yeah. um, in college. He was, so Orlando has some companies that do medical simulation, which is when they make uh, games for doctors to train them how to do like surgeries. Oh, that's cool. And also games for the army that simulate combat situations. Less cool, um, but I understand it, yeah. Yeah, and so my brother uh, would actually like, QA these games. Uh, and it was actually a really cool job for a college student to have, because A, like, yeah, you were kind of playing video games. Yeah. And B, it paid more than any retail or food service job would. Like, yeah. he used that money to, like, buy textbooks, and he worked there for, like, a year after college to, like, save up on a down payment for a house. So, like... It's and, it's good work, honestly, and I and you know that's them. like that's the line of argument that has been used against QA testers for years to prevent them from getting any kind of boost in pay or benefits. Is that well, you know, you're basically playing video games all day long anyway, so shut up. You got your foot in the door in a video game company. 
and like that has been a place where a lot of people have gotten their start before getting better or more illustrious positions at video game companies but like from my understanding and maybe you can help with that as well it's not like you're just like hanging out having a good time playing a good game like you are you are playing the same section over and over and over again to try and break a game Oh yeah. yeah, like it is work. It's absolutely it's absolutely labor. Like my brother is not playing these games cuz he wants to have fun. Like who the hell is playing surgery simulators to have fun? I guess some people, but that's fucking yeah. weird. Yeah. Those are not the games he and I would play when we were home. Like he had to like he would repeatedly have to like run his character into corners and open and close doors and jump yeah. near walls to make sure they weren't see-through. <laughs> and then we have to scrupulously document and know all of this on like an Excel spreadsheet. And what like, what it, surgery simulator has you running around like caves? No, maybe not that. Maybe maybe the combat ones do, but I'm sure like you know, yeah, Elden Ring. He's just like rolling and like hitting doors, and, and then he has to go do the surgery mini game in Elden Ring. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, you can imagine the things that could glitch in a surgery game. Like, what if like the organ falls out and like it's just yeah. like on the floor, you know, like just. Or, like, the, the tools are floating, you can't use them. Yeah. Or, yeah. So, someone has to do it, and it's work. It's really tedious work, and they they deserve all the things. It's not just playing video games all day. Can I read you another headline that is associated with the fine folks over at Activision? Yeah, what's going on? From Bloomberg News, from everyone's favorite games reporter over at Bloomberg News, Jason Schreier. Ugh, wait. My man, Jason Schreier. Headline. California lawyer quits over allegation Newsom meddled in Activision case. I, why would he get involved? I have so many questions about this. Honestly, after reading this story, I came out just as confused as I was when I came in. I mean, Yeah, because I, I read it and I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I, like, what? what is even happening here? Like, the the uh, I will just read a section from this because Schreier said it better than I could. Quote, the allegation and loss of the two top lawyers on the case raises questions about the fate of the Activision lawsuit, which accuses the Santa Monica, California-based video game publisher of sexual discrimination and misconduct. The case is currently pending in Los Angeles Superior Court. The lawsuit, which detailed Activision's frat boy culture, led to employee walkouts, calls for the chief executive officer to resign, condemnation from its business partners in a stock plunge that culminated in Microsoft Corp's agreement earlier this year to purchase the company for $69 million. So one of the lawyers who stepped away from this case, this is Melanie Proctor. She used to be the assistant chief counsel for California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing. She stepped away and said that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California and his office, were interfering with this case in Activision's favor. So what? Oh my god! No fucking that, clue what's going on over there. That's insane. That is like I. First of all, how do you even get a story like that? Yeah, like you got to be somebody like Jason Schreier, who people are just like comfortable leaking shit to. Yeah, I mean, he has like he should. He might as well be on like the email list for Activision internal emails. <laughs> like he's gonna see man, them eventually. This anyway. man yeah. is. He's just gonna like all the Slack like screenshots. Yeah. I just. The amount of access he has, unparalleled. Good for him, honestly. I cannot wait to see how this unfolds. Are we going to see Jason Schreier in court at some point? I (laughs) we might, yeah. And it is worth noting that all of this is allegations at this point. 
uh, Newsom's office has said that they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. All the allegations are as false as can be. So this is like a very actively developing story. But the fact that it has escalated to this scale at all, where it could involve the governor of California. It involves the governor? I can't yeah, even. <laughs> not a lot of video game stories end up going this high. I mean, the only other one I can really think of is that time... That one guy who was making Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning managed to convince the state of Rhode Island to give him money to make his game. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is that, which was yeah. also written by Jason Schreier. Yeah, that was written up by Schreier in that book of his. So shout yeah. outs to my man, Jason Iconic. Schreier. Iconic. Honestly. Iconic. I want to be him when I grow up. I kind of want to be him when I grow up, too. And then, oh, here's another another big video game story, I guess you could say, is that uh, three people got arrested in connection with the recreation of club penguin (laughs) yep um are you familiar with club penguin rewritten at all tori yeah i i know that club penguin shut down a few years ago obviously it has like a very loyal base yeah and so some people like went and just like created it again and this happens a lot with like these types of games right yeah people will launch like private servers or just like do like a toontown i think it's called toontown rewritten Oh my god, I remember Toontown. Yeah, Toontown Rewritten is a thing, and I think Club Penguin Rewritten was kind of styled after that anyway. Like, the the idea was to... Like, you can download Toontown and play it right now. There are private servers of the game, and people are maintaining it and keeping it open, despite the fact that Disney shut it down. So, ever since Club Penguin Rewritten came online, which was in 2017, it has managed to garner 10 million users, which is, like, kind of insane. And it was closed at one point, because of the end of the Flash player dying, and they had to kind of figure out a way to get it back up and running. And it was reopened last year, and now it has officially been shut down again because it had to be handed over to the UK's Intellectual Property Crime Unit, and three people have been arrested in connection with this game. So imagine going to jail because of Club Penguin. Can you imagine? I can't imagine going... Like, imagine imagine the trial. Like. Yeah. <laughs> this is why copyright law is just like so fucked and it's it's so wild to me that like like i get that they're doing something about it but like 10 million people were using it it has been online on and off for five years and they're only just crazy. now doing something about it so imagine playing club penguin rewritten and having the feds bust down the door <sighs> solidarity with my club penguin rewritten boys they free them they did nothing wrong they did nothing wrong. They did we're, nothing we're organizing wrong. a bail. <laughs> they just wanted to play card jitsu, and for that, I have massive respect for them. So yeah, I don't know. We free were... my free my boys. We're gonna see if we can get a letter writing program going to the club penguin guy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then the last last bit of wacky game news. I remember this week is truly the week of whack ass game news. It really is. Like club yeah. penguin arrest, new kingdom hearts, like. The governor of California allegedly being involved with Activision Bliss. I mean, like, really? This is, this how, is quite How could leak. it possibly get any worse? The New York Times wrote about Elden Ring. Yeah. And it was, was kind of bad. It, it was, and they kind of, like, attributed Elden Ring success to um, the pandemic. That's, that's, a lot. that's a lot. That's not a good take, in my opinion. I see it in two ways. I see it as, like, it's amazing that a game from a company that made games like Dark Souls, which didn't sell nearly as much as Elden Ring did, mm-hmm. is getting attention of like major media outlets, like legacy newspapers. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. I just don't think it was written well. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I also don't think, I don't think, like, looking at the success of something like Elden Ring, like, the, the author and I, I'm going to, I'm going to say, like, I have nothing against the person who wrote this story. Like, God knows I have also been tasked by editors to write stories on things that I am not very knowledgeable on, and I've just, like, muddled my way yeah. through. But, like... It's nerve-wracking, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But, yeah, like... I've been there. The The person in here talks about the success of Elden Ring and also references the success of Animal Crossing. It talks about how, like, you know, earlier on in the pandemic, we were all playing Animal Crossing. But, like... It's very strange to me to look at something like Elden Ring and to look at the fact that it was so anticipated for so long and it has it's coming from a studio with such a good pedigree and George R. R. Martin was involved and it's out on consoles that more people have in their households than have ever had consoles in their household before and then to look at all of those factors and just be like, I can't imagine this being popular without the COVID pandemic. And it's like, you, you have to... I understand that the thesis of the piece was equating the struggles of the pandemic with the struggles of like beating bosses and stuff in Elden Ring, but it's like there is more, there is more coherent games criticism coming from like upstart magazines that are run by like three people than is coming out of the paper of record. So, and do not make nearly the salaries that a New York Times reporter does. Yeah, there's that too. Um, yeah. I'm going to link in the show notes. There was a really good tweet thread that was going around from Polygon editor-in-chief Chris Plant, where he was, he, he kind of basically lays out his steps for how he thinks the New York Times could improve its games coverage. And he made a point here that I hadn't even really realized because New York Times doesn't write about games very often, but it gets passed between their different news decks. It's not like the news yeah. desks. It's not like washington post where they have like the games news deck and they have gene park doing god's work and then a couple other people on Ah, pour one out for gene park i love that man pour one out for he absolutely rules um i hope his long covid symptoms are getting better i follow him on twitter and he seems like he's really struggling with long covid so pour one out for. i do and i i think about him all the time and i hope he is better but um like plant makes the point that video game coverage just gets passed along back and forth. So sometimes you'll have a culture writer writing about video games and sometimes you'll have a tech writer writing about video games. And like, that's not to say that having these different perspectives isn't good, but that it can kind of be a little incoherent and you run afoul of potentially having an editor who is looking at a story about games and not really knowing. Like, you, it's completely reasonable that Every editor at the New York Times does not know stuff about video games, but it's kind of unrealistic to be looking at such an insanely huge media market and going like, yeah, the culture writer probably will be able to figure this out and the culture editor will probably know enough about this when like other papers and other much smaller publications have like whole dedicated teams for this. Yeah, I think I think it just shows that video games are so big in the cultural zeitgeist now that like more legacy media companies should pay attention and should actually create the infrastructure as in like jobs mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah. for people who know about these things to write about these things like new york times could easily hire one of the millions of video game journalists to be a games reporter or a games editor um literally any axios has a video game newsletter and they have more than one games reporter do you know that no, I did not know that. Axios, like the bullet point people. Huh. <laughs> the bullet point people. 
That's I had two job interviews with them. I they're fine, but <laughs> you think Breitbart has a video games editor? I don't want to know. You think you think they got a video games editor at like the Blaze? Oh, <laughs> the Blaze. You mean the Blade? That's what they're studying. <laughs> Do you think uh, you think Tommy Loren plays video games? <laughs> Yo, Abby Shapiro does though. Mm. Ben Shapiro's sister has been posting that she plays Bioshock. Really? Well, I guess that's Abby Shapiro confirmed gamer. Abby Shapiro plays Bioshock and sees Rapture and is like, this is awesome. She's like, <laughs> She's like this is fucking awesome, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I it just I also feel so bad for the person who wrote this because I mean the amount of like vitriolic, oh like horrific God. shit. Yeah. That is probably clogging up their feed because, like, the Souls fandom is just, like, fucking horrendous. I've been a part of some fandoms that are pretty bad. Like, I would say, mm-hmm. like, the Steven Universe fandom is quite bad. Yeah, didn't, the, didn't um, Steven Universe fans, like, review bomb a restaurant at some point or something? Yeah, they're just, like, the worst. Yeah. Um, But, like, in terms of gaming fandoms, like, the Souls fandom is, like probably part of the reason why i didn't really try these games until like kip convinced me to try because it, they just the get goodism and just like the whole it's just very gatekeepy and makes someone like me who's like not the most skilled gamer in the world really want to partake in any of it so you can imagine like what is going on in that feed not only is this hitting at the intersection of the the frustrating part of the souls fan base but it's also going to be intersecting directly with the very vocal people on the internet who just distrust journalists regardless of what they're writing about so yeah definitely pour one out for the person who wrote this story i just yeah i don't know i don't think it's his fault it's he just needs better editors and better direction from the folks of the new york times so i don't know yeah and okay there's actually one extra bit of news that we didn't have on here oh yeah please. and it's again like a big if true oh okay but... we have another big if true two in one episode <laughs> some people are saying many people are saying many people are saying <laughs> many people are saying i'm like it's like two guys with a podcast yeah um Us. we're also two guys with the podcast we are two guys with the podcast. Another, another two guys with the podcast were saying that they were looking at the like graphical fidelity of the new footage of the Breath of the Wild sequel, the like three seconds that were in the recent announcement, you know, mm-hmm. um, and were like, this graphical fidelity is so good that it looks far better than Breath of the Wild, and therefore this game will be rolled out with a new console. Ooh. That's like a lot to make out of three se- like three seconds. I know. Huh. It could just be because Breath of the Wild was made to run on the Wii U and the Switch. Yeah. And so therefore, if Breath of the Wild 2 came out on the Switch, it would just by default look better. This won't be dragged down by that, yeah. Plus, you know, early game releases on a console do tend to look considerably worse than late releases on a console. Like, that's just just a fact of the matter. Early, you look at, like, early 3DS games compared to late 3DS games, or... Same with the Game Boy Advance, the early Game Boy Advance games versus the late ones. Like, once you get yeah. to that later stage in the console, devs have figured out tricks to make things look better. But, and I did go and look it up. This is, this is more than just two guys with the podcast. This is the guys over at Digital Foundry who are, like, very good at this tech stuff. So, that is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying, many people have been saying, um, that they do like to roll out Zelda games and new consoles and like to transition 
consoles with Zelda games, and this yeah. would just be another link in that chain. And hee hee. Uh, see what I did there? So link, the yeah, link in good. that chain. That um, and yeah, I think that's just that's just it. I think it's gonna happen, but it's still pretty pretty massive if true. Yeah, this is one more notch in your theory that a uh, a new console is rolling out with this game. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so what are we playing? Yeah, I think that's all the news we got. Um, what have I been playing? So I'm still on that Persona 3 grind. I don't want to get into 30 minutes of discussion about Persona 3 because it'll lead us down a rabbit hole and take away from discussion topics we like really unpack this game. But yeah, I'm loving it. I met a few new characters. I got a robot and I got a dog now, and I love both of nice. them very much. Um, I have been amused, though, in talking with you as I've been playing it because... Every time you encounter something that's, like, particularly fucked up or weird, you'll text me and be like, oh, I just made it to this part of the game. And I'll be like, didn't play out like that for me. <laughs> so. Oh, God. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm really looking forward to once we've, like, completed this game, being able to sit down and be like, so this was different for me and this was different from you. And I don't know if that's because I'm, like, playing I think we need to start girl. writing this down. Yeah, we're going to have to start keeping notes about it. Maybe we should, yeah. I think we need to start making some sort of, like, doc of, like, things we know that are different. I don't know if it's I, because, I already can like, name three things. Off. It's definitely because yeah. you're a girl. Do it you is definitely because I'm a girl, yeah. My game is so horny. My game yeah. is so horny and so weird. Um, Like... Literally, all like I two out of like at least two of my social links are just horny. One of the new moon events and the summer vacation mm-hmm. had some like weird horny stuff in it. Like I, there's just a lot going on. So that's really weird. But I've I've been really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, the story is kind of starting to unfold a little bit more, and yeah, I'm kind of starting to get a little more of a handle on like why like characters' motives and what's happening with this. So. I'm I'm very much enjoying it. It is it's also like such a good portable game. And I know that you're playing it on a console, so you have to do much more like sit down, dial in, but man, it is such a good game for just like flipping my PSP on, playing a few days, putting it back on sleep mode and not touching it for a few hours. Like it is very, very good to the point where I'm like I I really wish more of the Persona games were portable. So, well, which is to say, like, 4 and 1 and 2 Steam are also deck. portable. Yeah, it's it's more like I'm kind of shocked that they didn't try to find more of an opportunity to get 5 on a portable console. I don't know if they would have been able to compress it enough to get it to run on Switch, but 5 would have been a perfect Switch game. Like, if 3... Portable, oh my god. Like, the, the ability, since it is a calendar and you're playing it as calendar days, it just functions so... There is so such clear breaks you can take. Like... When you finish a day, it's so easy to just put your console on sleep mode. So, very, very good portable game. Um, Haven't played a lot of Elden Ring this past week, so I don't really have much of an update on that front. I was mostly just kind of running around this past week, and I've been real busy. But a new game that I did mess with on my computer is Stacklands for the PC. Have you seen Stacklands at all, Tori? No, I haven't. This is the first I'm hearing. It's one of the latest games from the people over at Sock Pop. Again, that's the little indie game collective that I pay three bucks a month to subscribe to, and they just emailed me periodically, and they're like, check out this cool new game. And their games are always like cute little pick-up-and-play type things. It's like a small team of developers, and... Having played a few months worth of sock pop games now, I, I feel like I can somewhat confidently say that there's like kind of 
there's kind of like a design language that is common among them like the <laughs> this is kind of a weird thing to point out but like the fonts are very similar across all the games and they all have very similar atmospheres and a lot of them have similar similar like pick up and play feelings so it's kind of cool that it's these are all like very different games like Stacklands which is the one that I've been playing this month and it's been cool to see it's been gaining popularity outside of just people like me who are subscribed like it was on the Steam like bestseller lists at one point um it's kind of like a survival town building game if you mixed it with a collectible card game and solitaire and it's really really fun you you start out the game with like a person the way you would like in an rts when you have like a worker and you can put the worker on top of resources and the worker can do stuff with those resources and you have a pack of cards and you can open up those cards and you get resources and it'll have like stone and wood and stuff like that and the game moves in real time and every it's counting down to the end of a a month or a moon and at the end of that moon you have to have enough food on your playing mat to feed your human characters who are in play and anybody you can't feed dies and when all the humans die you're done but the main gameplay loop is about getting coins which you get by selling stuff and cashing those coins in for card packs that have different themes they have like different booster pack names and the booster pack names kind of have some kind of relation to what you're going to get so there's like idea or there's like a I forget what it's called it's like enlightenment or something like that and you you buy one of those card packs and you have a higher chance of getting an idea card and an idea card is just a recipe for something you can build and it'll be like oh you can build a campfire by mixing a stick and a piece of flint together and hypothetically you could have done that without that idea card but it's like oh my god I hadn't realized that or there's the explorers pack which can give you location cards which you put down and then you put a villager on that and they explore it quote unquote by sitting on that location card and every say minute minute and a half they spit out a new unique card from that location so it's it's really fun it's deceptively hard too because there is like a lot of resource management because you are trying yeah. to constantly ensure you have enough food to feed your people so it's like a lot of weighing like well, I could use another villager so that I could constantly be having somebody to make more wood. But if I do that, I'm going to have another mouth to feed and I'm not sure I'll be able to keep up my berry bush supply. So it's surprisingly deep for what you're doing. And it's really, really fun. I'm liking that one a lot. Yeah, I'm looking up like images and bits of gameplay and it mm -hmm. looks it looks really cute and looks like does look like a lot of fun. Like something you could just play for 10 minutes and yeah. still have a good time and still have like a, a valuable experience. Um, I like games like this. Yeah, and it's it's also got that deceptively simple kind of angle to it that a lot of games that are pick up and play and cute like this are. Like the couple I I've made it like twenty days in at max. There's still like a ridiculous amount of recipes I haven't discovered and stuff I haven't done. And the thing that has fucked me up twice now is sometimes on a month a strange portal will spawn, and that strange portal has a countdown. <laughs> yeah. And then out of that strange portal, just, like, a shit ton of enemies will pop out. So the first time I got totally murked, I a strange portal spawned. I only had one person, and a bear came out of it, and the bear just fucking murked my only villager, and I lost. Damn. And then the second time I lost, I, like, had been doing better about my resource management. I had two villagers, 
and a strange portal spawns and like three slimes and a skeleton come out of it and so none of my guys are equipped to really do any kind of combat and we just got destroyed so there i'm hitting a learning curve i need to figure out how to balance the resource management with like having a person that can do combat but it's really cool and it has it has more replayability than some games like this i have seen like I don't know, I, I feel like with some card-type games, once you've unlocked all the cards and seen all that possibilities, you kind of like, you're like, okay, I've seen it. But there's since there's some randomness to the cards you're drawing from the little booster packs, it, it has that kind of random survival element to it. So I recommend it. How much is it on Steam? It's pretty cheap, isn't it? It should, it should be cheap, right? I mean, like, how much was it for you when you bought it? Well, I got it. I got it as part of the subscription service. So I pay three bucks a month, and I get two to three games. But here I found it. Any of the sock pop games can be bought for five bucks a pop. So, like, I have not put considerable amounts of time into every one of the sock pop games. But if there is one a month that really scratches that itch, and I really enjoy for a little bit, then I see it as totally worth it. But if this is one you want to check out as a one-off, it's only five bucks. So pretty inexpensive it's a it's a cute little game it doesn't require strong hardware to run i'm running it on my like dinosaur pc that can barely run anything so i really i'm really enjoying that um another thing i wanted to shout out it's not it's not a game per se but uh i'll drop a link to it in the description i got this tiktok the other day on my for you page of this guy playing a banjo cover of fallen down from undertale and dude (laughs) Due to popular demand, he released it on his Bandcamp, and it is so pretty. It's like he he has a banjo, and he's got a synth drone playing in the background, and he's just like playing Fallen Down from Undertale, and it's very pretty. That sounds amazing. It's only like two minutes long, but you can loop it infinitely. It's very, very good. I will drop a link to the, the guy's Bandcamp page where he has the song you can stream. It's totally yeah. free. Go listen to it. I don't know. Throw him a buck if you really enjoy it. So that was my last thing to shout out. Um, Tori, what have you been playing? I am on the Elden Ring and Persona 3 grind, as we've sure been saying. Am. I've been putting my my nose to the grindstone. <laughs> uh, I definitely did some more exploring in Elden Ring. I opened up a whole new area. I was in Volcano Manor. Um, and I got... Okay. I'm having this issue with Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. So the great thing about Elden Ring that everyone was saying was like, oh, it's open world. Like, if you are struggling in a place, just like go somewhere else, which is very true. But I had this thing where I would go to an area, I would struggle, and I would like go somewhere else. And then when I went somewhere else, I would encounter a harder version of the enemy I was struggling with in the first yeah. place. And so then I would go somewhere else else. And then encountered that thing. I encountered this problem with three different boss-type enemies. I have run out of go somewhere else's. Yeah, it's like the, uh, at the it's like the JRPG <laughs> problem where it's like you fight a boss and, or you fight a character and you're like, boy, that character was annoying. And then you find that character later just like with its colors palette swapped and it has 10,000 more HP and two more new attacks that like, are annoying. Fuck. And it's like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm having that issue. So I... Yeah, my strategy has been to fight or attempt to fight the harder versions of the annoying enemies and then go back every time, every other time I level up or something Hmm. to try to kill off the easier version of these enemies. 
Okay. So one of these enemies is the Godskin Apostle. Oh yeah, I really You also one of these guys. encounter him on the bridge from Caria Study Hall. He's like oh. a big fat guy who rolls, and he's just like horrible, and will absolutely one shot you if he like rolls on you. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine when you have a horse, but then when you encounter him in Volcano Manor, you are stuck in a room with him with no horse and no summons. Oh God. Yeah. So I just I've been on that. Um. Also, oh. the Kalid Divine Tower boss is the same enemy as the Grim Reaper guy in the Windmill Village. Oh, okay. See, I haven't made it to the Windmill Village, but I walked into the room with the Kalid Divine Tower boss, and he one-shot me, and I was like, I'm not supposed to be here yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's easier when he's a field boss. Is again, horse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, run away, shoot arrows at him, like, whatever. But when you're locked in a room with that guy, like, he sucks. There definitely is an interesting dynamic with some of the bosses in this game where, like, sometimes they let you fight them on horseback and sometimes they don't. And it's like, that's part of why the dragons have been so much fun to fight for me because, like, even though they have so much health and do so much damage that if I was stuck in a room with them, I would never beat them. Being able to ride around on horseback and jump over the fire and jump behind them and that kind of thing, like, totally changes the tenor of that boss fight. For sure. So I've just been doing that, just been trying to level up and do other things. Uh, and that's where I am with that. And then with Persona 3, I am in the middle of summer vacation. I just got back from the beach and all of the weird shit that happened there in regards to like weird storyline trying to get you to hit on women. And also all these uh, realizations you were having about Mitsuru and Yukari, two of your party members, and their relationship to Tartarus yeah, you and said its the, origins. You said the game randomly got transphobic, too, right? Oh, yeah, I did get transphobic. Um, I tweeted about that. Uh, I was talking to you about something, being like, hey, did you encounter like this weird like scene uh, in your <clears> game? I don't know if you encountered it because you're a girl, and you're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, it's really weird. You have to do X, Y, and Z. And then I text you two seconds later, oh, no, it just got transphobic because it did. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, whenever you play a Persona game, like, again, I fucking adore these games, but, like, you're like, when's it going to happen? Because it's going to. It's on if, it's a when, and I just encountered my when. So. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. I don't know. It is. Um, The Persona series is getting a, well, the people who, the guy who directed personas three through five at least no longer works there yeah so whoever is doing persona six is a different person so we'll see how that changes and i have of i have seen changes. people um that guy's name is katsura hashino and i have seen some people point specifically at hashino for being like the reason that some of these games have like weird homophobic undercurrents in them and like i'm not sure how much i believe that is it's the director of the game is the sole focus behind like the ideology that the game is pushing in some places but i did see some people point out that like i don't remember if it was persona 1 or persona 2 i have not played these games but one of them has like a recruitable party member who is gay and like sure there's a gay romance option it's number two is it really that's yeah there's a gay romance and like is it I don't know how much of a joke it's played off as. I'd imagine there's maybe a gay joke here or there, but like, I don't know. It definitely seems like it is not, it is not a broad stroke across all of Atlas's published games that this kind of stuff is in. It does kind of seem like 
it's it's a lot of the Persona ones, and it happens to be these games this guy is associated with. So yeah, fingers crossed. Whatever comes out next from the series is a little less like have uh, ha- has fewer yeah. scenes with just like overt transphobia in them for no reason. Yeah, I mean, I again, I'm really enjoying this game. Like yeah. you said, I was really. I'm really into the story of this game. Like, I adore the story of 4, yeah. and I like the story of 5, but 3 is very interesting. Like, it really interests me. I like that there's tension in the group with each other, yeah, in yeah. a way, whereas 4 is very, like, sunshiny, and, like, we're all friends, and we jump into the TV, and we yeah. see who died next week. Um, As weird as that can be described as being sunshiny, but it is, and you have, like, a bear guy, and, you yeah, know, it's, it's just, like, it's innocent in a way it's funny to say too i think i I even said that last week on the show like oh you know i don't know everybody's intentions and i like that there's friction within the group and having put three four more hours into the game probably more since then like i'm starting to see some of that stuff develop more and i'm kind of like i should probably just shut my mouth about some of that stuff until i see the story through but i'm definitely really excited to see where it goes so i'm enjoying that game i'm really excited to be like playing it i wish it was a little more accessible for other people to play but i'm i'm real excited to be playing it for sure um and then other than that i watched the beatles documentary on disney plus it's about uh basically some of their last recording sessions and they're like culminating to their last concert they were they were performed together in yeah um it's three episodes each episode is two and a half hours christ um it is extremely long it is so like peter jackson come through thousands of hours of footage thousands of hours it was like really like a love letter to this band um the most interesting part of this documentary to me is a seeing their process mm-hmm. they have like the most untechnical songwriting and song making process ever i don't ever hear them talk about chords or like drop d or like tune this or like they never use chords or notes like paul mccartney will just be like oh i want you to do ba 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 and like john's like yeah but and then they do it that's so wild. And you're like what the fuck was that <laughs> like it just doesn't make any sense um it's cool being a fly on the wall and in, in that yeah. and then some of the dynamics are weird like first of all yoko she's like a weird vibe killer like mm-hmm. she really She's really fucking weird. She gives me, like, girl who hisses at school vibes. And, yeah, she's just, I don't like her vibe at all. And then everyone's mean to George Harrison, so then George Harrison quits the band for a week, and then they go to his house to convince him to rejoin the band, and eventually he does. Damn. Um, and then, oh, there's another really, this is, this is super fucking weird. Um, like, so the reason why there's footage of them making this last performance or rehearsing for this last performance mm-hmm. is because this process was going to be turned into a TV documentary in, like, 1969 or something. Oh, wow. And it ended up not actually happening. But, huh. like, the tape was kept. Like, all this archival footage was kept. And so, because they knew they wanted to make this, like, making of a Beatles performance into a documentary, there was so much footage. And yeah. some of it is people getting into arguments. Um, oh, wow. So there's a scene where Paul and John are like, they're like, let's have a chat. Let's have a chat. And they sit at this table in the recording, like in the building where there's a recording studio. I guess there's like a kitchen or dining area. And the screen goes black. And there's a text that overlays for you to read that says, Paul McCartney and John Lennon didn't know this. 
but we did implant a, like, we did bug this flower vase that is on the table they're sitting and talking at. Oh my god. And we recorded their entire conversation, <laughs> and it's just them, like, kind of, it, it's, like, Paul McCartney is like, I'm actually the boss of this band. Everyone thinks it's you, but, like, really, it's me. Like, I'm kind of the chief of this. And it's just like, oh, my God. God damn. It's, like, really some, like, egos going on here. Oh, and there's a really great scene where Paul McCartney is, like, trying to whip everyone's ass into shape mm-hmm. to, like, make this concert. And he has such, like, a fucking Kim Kardashian, like, no one wants to fucking work <clears throat> moment where literally it's so good. The camera shows him, he's like, I want to make progress every single day on this performance. I want to have walked out of the studio every single day knowing that we did something called Crete. And then that pans over to Ringo and he's literally asleep in his chair. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's just golden. That's so So, wild. It's great. Like, I like how they, this whole documentary focuses on the time that by the time you get to it, they already all fucking hate each other. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the more interesting part to watch anyway, so... Yeah, the part with, like, all the screaming girls and, like, their little bowl cuts is, like, boring. We've all like, seen when they're, that. like, 30 yeah. and all hate each other and they're, like, their yeah. wives are, like, in the studio with them and they're kind of all beefing. That's great. Man, shout so. out to Peter Jackson. That man made three incredible Lord of the Rings movies and then three really shitty Hobbit movies and just took his money and fucked off and was like, I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna clean up archival footage for the rest of my life and... And I'm, I was making three Beatles episodes that are basically movies. This man works in threes. I love that man. I love the work he's doing. <laughs> I didn't love his Hobbit movies, but I don't blame him for that. So I blame, I'll blame i blame the studio for that one. That was all the studio, realistically. So shout out to Peter Jackson. Yeah, shout out to Peter Jackson. So, and that's pretty much all I have. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's all we got. Uh, Tori, where can people find you on Elon Musk's Twitter? Oh, God, don't say that. <laughs> 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 um you can find me at uh tori underscore as underscore always you can find me as long as elon musk doesn't delete my account because i've had him blocked for like over a year because i don't like putting up with this bullshit on social media feeds uh at noah underscore hertz spelled h-u-r-t-s where the podcast is on twitter as well at press underscore start pod you can Email us at heypressstart at gmail.com. Hit us up with game recommendations or anything, really. You can review the show on whatever podcast thingy you're using. We'd appreciate the reviews. And I think that's about it. Our music and cool sound effects are from the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. And our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And yeah. That's that's video games. Uh, thanks for listening. Rate and review. Uh, Tori, you got anything you want to add? I want everyone here to take a minute, just for the two of us, and for yourself, honestly, to just rewatch the Kingdom Hearts four trailer and zoom in on Sora's feet one last time. Yeah, get all those get those high fidelity Kingdom Hearts toes. Take a peek. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thanks for listening. Is the title of this episode going to be a Sora feat?
related thing. I feel like it's gonna be. Yeah, I feel like it's gotta be at this point. I'll have to think of something. 